Give it go. Oh, yes! Oh, where the puncture that one? Oh, Dumas. The entire bench got up on that one. Yes! Oh, the chicken for sure! All the day, it's mother chicken. Oh, did he give him one on that? What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Seclair, and with me, as always, is Jake Elrod. And today, we're going to do a Pacers show. And uh, first, we're going to go over um, which, uh, or we're going to go over Victor Oladipo news. Some pretty interesting news finally came out with Victor Oladipo of a timeline. Him returning, we're also going to go over which Indiana Pacers we think could make the All-Star game as All-Star voting opened up on Christmas Day. Then we're also going to go over the Pacers' recent stretch of games. Uh, the last show we talked about, uh, we highlighted the last six games of the month, so we're going to go over those games. Um, and then we're going to also look at Playoff seating has kind of been thrown around there a little bit now. Pacers are actually almost halfway through the season already, ironically enough. So, starting to peek at the schedule or the standings a little bit. So, we're going to look at where the Pacers stack up against the Eastern Conference teams uh, like the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers, and the Miami Heat now that the Pacers have played all those teams at least once. Uh, but, Jake, to start the show, like I said, major Victor Oladipo news. On Christmas Day, a Christmas Woj gives us all a Christmas gift for the Pacers fans. As he reports that Old Depot could be back late January, early February. So it's pretty interesting when that will be. If you remember last year, uh, he suffered that in, that quad tendon injury January 23rd of 2019 against the Toronto Raptors. So looking at the schedule for the Pacers, they're going to be on a West Coast trip from January 19th to the 26th. So I don't see him coming back then. Um, but then they return for four for three straight home games against the Chicago Bulls, the New York Knicks, and the Dallas Mavericks to enter into February. So, if you're to target a specific game for Victor Oladipo to come back, where do you see it being in that three home that three game home stretch, or do you see it being a little bit after February, right before the All Star break? Well, I'm hoping it's uh, at home. You know, it would be nice for him to be able to make his return in front of the home fans. But, uh, you know, ultimately, wherever, whenever he decides to return, you know, the timeline wasn't shocking, but it was just nice to finally get, you know, a date in mind, uh, you know, for when we expect him to return. I mean, you know, you keep hearing no timeline from McMillan and from Victor. You start to get nervous a little bit. And, you know, in the day of social media, you expect some videos to pop out of him. Uh, you know, making shots and doing dunks and, you know, in a, you know, in some extreme practice situations and really haven't seen that yet to this point. So um, to be able to get that news, nothing was shocking about the timeline. And honestly, probably some fans were hoping that it might be a little bit sooner, but ultimately the goal is to get him healthy, get him back. Um, but I, I would think that that homestand is probably a good time to get him going. Um, a softer schedule at that point at home. I just think it, I just think it fits that, that time. And if you get him back right for the all-star break, it's a lot like the Paul George injury where Paul George came back late at the end of the – late in the season. He got he's got he got his legs under him. Then the next season he was fully ready to go. If you get him right before all-star break, you get five, six, seven games before the all-star break, give him that week off for all-star break, and then boom, get him ready for the stretch run for, uh, for the playoffs. So that will be very, uh, very interesting to see when that – 
when that comes out. Once we actually know the specific game that Victor Oladipo comes back, comes back, uh, we'll have an emergency pod and we'll completely cover all that going on with the team and everything. So, uh, next thing we're going to go over is the All Star game. As on Christmas, All Star voting opened up. So, Jake, the Pacers are 22 and 12 right now. Just beat Philadelphia 76ers. We'll go over that game later. They're fifth place in the East as of as of as we record this on New Year's Day. Um, and they've had a very strong season to this point. Um, a lot of Pacers fans think it's Demonis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon making the All-Star game. Do you see both of them making it? Or do you see one of them making it? What do you see from the Eastern Conference for the Indiana Pacers? I think they both deserve to get in. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're Pacers fans, so we tend to be biased. But with these kinds of things, you know, I try to be as unbiased as possible. And to be honest, I historically haven't paid much attention to the All-Star game because the Pacers really – have never had an opportunity for this kind of, you know, representation in the All-Star game to potential players. I mean, you know, we knew Victor Oladipo was going to be the season he was. We knew Paul George was going to be, you know, but for guys like this, you know, for us to have multiple All-Stars, I mean, that's rare. I mean, it hasn't happened since Paul George and Roy Hibbert made it, you know, about five, six years ago. So, you know, both of those guys were pretty much locked. So I haven't really before a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't really done too much homework on it. Um, you know, by from what I've gathered looking at past, rosters looking at you know historically how this goes i know that you know stats obviously are number one i mean this is a stat driven you know type of uh, award because it's individual you know representation of the success you've had this season so that's number one i also think winning is valued with this i know that there's kind of a debate back and forth with people of you know should get should winning be rewarded for this and it does seem like i mean and especially because the coaches vote for the bench i do think that winning is valued more than maybe you know, the the normal fan would like. So I think that that plays into it. You know, in terms of uh, my my overall all-star ballot as of today, I had to change it a little bit because I think, you know, we were going to do this a while ago, and I think some things have changed since then. Um, you know, so right now for my for my ballot, if I was going to do it today, my, my starting five is pretty cut and dry. I have, I have Kemba Walker. He's obviously the best player on the Celtics. They're the, the second seed in the East right now. He's definitely going to be in there. He's putting up great numbers, having a great season. He deserves it. Uh, Bradley Beal. I mean, this may be kind of one of the ones that maybe you're a little murky, but his numbers are just ridiculous, man. And, you know, I mean, his, his offensive efficiency, he's a great overall player. Um, you know, it's not his fault that the Wizards are terrible. And, you know, he's been there before. So I just think I think he has that kind of advantage of already having that notoriety as an all-star. So I, I think see, he's going to get in as a starter. But uh, that's that's actually where I've got him. I've got him on the, on my ballot, but I've actually got him on my bench. Cause just because, like you said, a lot of it goes to winning. And the Wizards are pretty bad, but they haven't won a lot. But he's basically the reason they're in a lot of games. And I have been as my bench unit, but as when I did my starters, I did it more of a fan voting. And I don't know if Bradley Beal... I've got Kemba Walker as my starter as well, but I don't know if Bradley Beal gets over Jimmy Walker or Jimmy Jimmy Butler in um in in the All Star game for the starters because I just think Jimmy Butler where he plays at he's been an All Star multiple times I think he will just get that fan vote of being a multiple time All Star. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see how they work this because Butler could be a guard or a forward. So I guess if you list him as a guard, I kind of put him as a forward on mine. But I guess, like I said, I'm not completely versed in how they do this. So this is just kind of my rough guess. I mean, he's going to get in too. Butler and Beal are both in. 
Um, I just put Beal on there because I look at him more as a guard and Butler more as a, you know, a shooting forward. But I mean, if you put Butler as a guard, then yeah, he'll probably be a starter. Um, you know, but I have Beal as my second guard starter. And then I put Siakam, Giannis and Embiid. None of those guys really need much of an explanation for them being the starter. I think all those guys have clearly earned their starting spot. And yeah, then the, the spacing bench. Probably, yeah, the spacing probably, spacing probably won't work in that front in that starting five. But I mean, it's, it's that would be. So, uh, yeah, that would be a brutal starting five, honestly. I mean, it's a fan voting. It's an all-star game. It doesn't really matter. So go to your bench. Yeah, unit. they're just trying to make it seem plausible with the two guards and three forwards. But all obviously, we know that those units probably wouldn't work consistently, you know, in actual games. But that's how they do it. Two guards, three starters. You know, you have the fan vote, player vote, coach vote. You know, it's kind of 33% each that determines the starters. And then, you know, benches are voted by coaches. Um, you know, so my bench right now, I have obviously Jimmy Butler is my first guy off the bench. I have Jalen Brown. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how many guys the Celtics get on, you know, with their record right now. I just like Jalen Brown because I think he's more consistent than Jason Tatum. Um, they're both playing great defense, but yeah, I just could, I've watched so quite a few could, games. Go ahead. The, the Celtics could easily have two or three guys, and I, I also have Jalen Brown in here. But it's also interesting how they list Brown because they've got him as a guard, but they could also, but he plays a forward position like Tatum. So I think it's going to be very interesting how that goes. I don't, I just don't see how how deep the East Conference is, and it was very hard to make this All Star ballot. But yeah, well, it, it it's just going to be very interesting how it ends up being because I think Tatum and Brown both could very much easily make it, but it's just Brown is a guard and Tatum is a forward, and like I told you before the show, forwards are very hard to uh, get on just because. It's listed as a front court player, so it's all the forwards and centers, so it's a lot yep. deeper position. But I have Jalen Brown as a guard because that's what he's under on the All Star ballot. So I've also got him online. Yeah, so I have Butler Brown. I have Sabonis. I think he's pretty comfortably in. I don't think he's as comfortably in as some of the others, but just looking at his numbers, you know, the pace of success, the pace are going to have at least one. And I think he's comfortably in right now. I know, like you said, the fours are a little more murky, but I think he's kind of getting. Well, when I go on social media, there's a lot of people in the national media kind of giving him his praise right now. He's considered an up-and-coming, rising star well, he player. Just got, he just got his, his big highlight. He just got his, yep. uh, his, his live massacre. So maybe that will give him the over, as we say on WWE terms. It very well could. So I have, I have Domas in. I have Adebayo in also. Um, I would put Adebayo over Sabonis right now. I know that's kind of a you know a hot topic among people. I think Adebayo's defense is incredible. He can really guard any position on the floor. You know he's a really good passer. His scoring his scoring repertoire has improved this year. Um, he's obviously a very tenacious rebounder. Um, I, I think overall, I think he's a little bit more diver- deserving of Domas just because his defense is he's going to be an All NBA defender. So I think you know offensively they're they're kind of similar in their impact, and Bam's just a better defender. Um, so I have him in there also. And they should. I, I very much think they should both be in. I know there's I been do. a lot of debate recently on Pacers Twitter which one should, which one shouldn't. They very much should be both on there. And I don't. And as a Pacer homer, of course, they both should be on there. And I don't really care if it means you have to knock off a guy like Jason Tatum or I don't know another another really good forward that should arguably make it because I think you know with the forward slash center position you're going to need some guys and Sabonis and Bam could be those guys coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean they're two they're representatives of two top five seeds in the East. I mean they're putting up great numbers, both averaging double doubles. And I mean you know I personally believe when I watch them, 
I think Bam's a little more versatile and athletic, so I kind of give him a little bit of an edge. But if you look at the numbers, they actually favor Sabonis. I mean, Sabonis averaging more points, more rebounds, better from three. Uh, Bam is averaging a little bit more assists. Uh, but Sabonis is playing more more minutes on his team. He probably has more impact on his team because Jimmy Butler is clearly the number one option there. And right now with Brogdon being in and out of the lineup, a lot of people would argue Sabonis is our number one option, you know, in terms of who we run our team through. I mean, and, and just Sabonis is second in the league in double doubles. He's fourth in the league in rebounding. I mean, so if you look at the numbers, they actually do favor Sabonis. It's just for me with the eye test, I think. I think Adebayo's just a little more valuable, but I wouldn't be surprised if they let Bam off and put Sabonis on. I don't really see too much of a of a case in the way they've looked at it in terms of stats that you could put Bam on and leave Sabonis off. But if I if I personally had to pick, I would vote for Bam. But I was just kind of addressing that because I've seen that on Pacers Twitter a lot, you know, kind of who deserves to get in. I'm with you. I think they both deserve to get in. But I was just kind of giving my opinion on those two guys. Um, I also have Spencer Dinwiddie. I know he's a... He's a he's a fringe guy, but I mean, without without Kyrie Irving in there, he's really taken the reins. He, he's he's a consistent scorer. He's averaging over 20 points per game, and he has the, he has a, the Nets with a winning record and in the playoffs right now. I think he has the stats and the winning to be able to sneak in there. Um, so I like him on there. Ben Simmons is really a guy I hated to put on here because I don't think he deserves it over some of the guys that I left off. But I mean, ultimately, he's an All NBA defender. His stat line across the board, you know, you have. You have the assists, you have the the rebounds, the scoring is blah. But I just think that with him playing on the Sixers, I think he just, you know, he's an all-star last year with a similar kind of stat line. And I just, for some reason, feel he's going to be on here. So I kind of forced him on here because I feel like they're going to have two. And I just put him on here over Tobias Harris because I just feel like, you know, recognition-wise, I think he's more regarded than Tobias Harris. Um, I think Simmons impacts the game a lot more than Harris does. Yeah, I agree, but I, I hated putting Simmons on here, but I just put him on here. And then my last guy that I put on here, I, I hated to to kick our guy Brogdon off, but with the injuries, I put in Chris Middleton. Um, you know, he is he's really a scorer and a decent defender, well, probably a good defender. I'll, well, I'll Middleton's actually missed a, a few games. Uh, yeah, but I, the problem with Middleton is with brought with with Milwaukee being the number one seed, they're going to have two All Stars. This is why he got in last year. Yeah, he I don't know if Milwaukee gets two though this year. I just I I don't know because Middleton. Yeah, he's a great player. I just don't I don't know. I didn't think he would make it last year, and he made it. So I'm just kind of going off of the same thing. I think he made it last year because Milwaukee has the best record in the East, and it's just hard to justify only putting one All Star player from the best record in the East on the on the all-star ballot i think that's kind of the logic with chris middleton do i think he deserves it over brogdon and some of the other guys i, I left off absolutely 100 percent not i'm going based off of historically what what i've seen and the research i did based off of it i just think that they would put the guy in from the number one seat on over a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, just because Brogdon's numbers, while they were incredible to start the season, they're starting to slip somewhat, and it's going to give them an excuse to put Middleton in over Brogdon. And, you know, Sabonis and Brogdon are kind of in that same boat. You play for Indiana. You're kind of a lunch pail team. Teams are still kind of not respecting this team the way they should. The the way they They're in the top five seed in the East comfortably without their best player. Neither of these guys really – are given their due, but I just think with Brogdon's numbers slipping just a little bit and, and with his injuries starting to pile up just a little bit, I think 
the voters are looking for excuses to put these guys off. I don't think they have a bias against them, but I think that, you know, if Sabonis wasn't averaging the ridiculous rebound and double 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 numbers he was, I think they would look for a reason to put a guy in like Drummond over him just because of the notoriety and things like that. But I just think Brogdon falling off, he was around like 19 points and now he's down to like 17 and a half. So him and Sabonis number scoring numbers are almost similar. His his shooting percentage numbers is in the low 40s now, low 30s for shooting three. Um, again, I, I completely believe Malcolm Brogdon deserves to be in, should be in. I'm just trying to look at it from kind of a, a more neutral stance of how are the coaches and the people that are putting these guys in, how are they going to look at you know these guys statistically and all these other things? And I just think you know Middleton with average, averaging more points, he's a good defender. He's on the best team in the East. I think they're just going to try to force two all-stars in from the top seeded team. I just think they're going to look at it as well. You know, the Pacers have one. They're the fifth seed. Milwaukee has one. They're the one seed. It's kind of a toss up statistically with Brogdon and Middleton. I think they're just going to give Middleton that, that push to get in. He was one last year and I didn't feel like he necessarily should have been great shooter, but I just don't feel like all across the board, he impacts the game the way Malcolm Brogdon does for the Pacers. I think Brogdon's going to end up being the biggest snub just because his, his the games he's missed are starting to pile up and kind of that, Kind of that shininess of of his impact on this team is starting to wear off a little bit with that and with the number slippage. So it killed me to leave Malcolm off. And listen, if he comes back next week and has a huge run and and you know puts up the similar type of numbers he was at the beginning of the year, I, I have no doubt he'll get back into this ballot. But as it stands right now, he's missed the la- games the last couple weeks and the number slippage. I just with with what I looked at this morning, I just feel like he's going to be on the outside looking in. And just to address a couple other guys, because I know people are going to wonder about, you know, Andre Drummond, great statistics, but I just don't, I just don't see putting him in on the other forwards with, with other teams having winning records and him just being on a terrible team. I think he's, you know, kind of one of those empty stat stuffers. And I think on most seasons he would probably get in, but there's too many good front court players on winning teams right now. You have uh, Trey Young was a guy I wanted to address too, because he's putting up numbers like Beal. But I put in Beal over Young because Young's defense is atrocious. Like his I've net actually, rating. I've actually got Trey Young in, and that's that's actually ironic that I've got Trey Young in. That's actually the probably the bigger difference that we have in our two ballots. Um, just with the historic numbers he put he's putting up offensively. I know he's not on a winner, but what do people come to the All Star game for? They come to watch threes, dunks. No, they don't come to watch much defense. And late in the game, when the defense gets tough. Uh, if it's a close game, Trey Young's not going to be out there. So I think, just seek recognition. I think with the numbers that he's put up and the growth that he's had this year, I think that the coaches will probably put him on, even though he hasn't been much of a winner and hasn't played much defense. Yeah, and I mean, I just looked at it was just so close. I mean, with guys like Dinwiddie and Young, and I looked at all those guys, and I just tried tried to pick the best guys that had the combination of statistics and winning. Cause again, the coaches are voting for this. This isn't fan votes that determine the bench. I just try to look at what the coaches are going to value. And I just think when you, I mean, he, he honestly has a reputation and it's deserved as arguably the worst defending guard in the league. I mean, when you have a guy like Dinwiddie in, you know, who's leading the nets to a winning record is putting up good numbers himself. I just think maybe he has a slight edge. If Trey Young makes it over him, I would not be surprised. This is again, just notable cuts because I think all these guys have a strong case. I think Trey Young has a, a strong case with his offensive numbers. Like you said, he's averaging almost 29 points per game. I mean, he's really carrying a terrible roster right now to and doing what he can. Um, it's just I think you have a lot of surprise guys carrying their teams to winners, uh, to winning games. And I, I think that Trey Young may just be on the outside just because of the guard 
competition in this. And then Jason Tatum was another guy I left off just because of his consistency, man. Like I know a lot of people are talking about Tatum as an all-star, but when I watch him, he's just so streaky offensively. His defense is good, but it's just one night he'll score 30. The next night he'll score eight on like two out of 12 from the field. And I just, I don't feel like he's necessarily nearly as deserving as, as Brown or Kemba. And I don't think they get three in. I just think that's a little bit hefty. Yeah, that's um, what I was about to say. They, I just can't see. I don't. See, I don't really see any Eastern Conference team getting three players in. I see maybe one or two getting two in, but it, I just think the East is so level. Really, from if we're talking about the bench unit, I think the East is so level that you can make a case for twenty to thirty different guys. Yeah, and that that's again. That's why some of these guys have really strong cases were left off. I think this is a very tough ballot to put together. I think it's one of the toughest we've seen in a while. Um, you know, but I just wanted to address some of those guys because I know people are going to listen to and be like, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? And then I also threw on, again, notable cut was Malcolm Brogdon. I just went into him in depth. Again, if he comes back and puts up the similar numbers over the last three weeks, then he'll be fine. He should be able to get in. He might even he might even boot Sabonis off because I do think both of those guys are might be battling for that position. I don't know if they're willing to put two Pacers on there um, with us being the fifth seed and us being an Indiana team. Like you said, they love flash. They love, and neither one of these guys are flash. So if he comes in and puts up numbers, he might boot Sabonis off of the all-star ballot, but I'm worried about his back with the number of games he's missed. We'll just see how that moves forward for him. Um, And then Tobias Harris, again, a guy who's putting up 19 points um, on the Sixers. I think he's a good player. I think he, he, could get in this year, but again, those are just some of the guys that you know I wanted to address that I left off. That I didn't forget about, but I just kind of left them on the outside. How I viewed it, and how I think the coaches are going to view it. So let's go into the last few games for the Ant Pacers. Last time we were with you guys, uh, we actually previewed the last six games for the Ant Pacers. It was a pretty big stretch. Uh, four or five, yeah, four teams were in the tops of the Eastern Conference. And me and Jake even talked about it. We thought three and three. If you can go four and two, that'd be great. But the Pacers were able to go three and three throughout the stretch. Uh, could have been a whole lot different though. But the first game of the last six, uh, the Pacers did what they needed to do. Uh, they beat the Sacramento Kings, one nineteen to one hundred five. But um, then on Sunday, went to Milwaukee, and man, Milwaukee's just a different, just a different animal. Um, Went to Milwaukee without without Malcolm Brogdon. Um, kept it close to the first half. I think it was like a three-point game going into halftime. But that strong th- third quarter by the Milwaukee Bucks uh, helped them pull it away 117 to 89. Yeah, that was that was a that was a real eye-opening game for me, honestly. I mean, the, the Bucks are by far the best team in this in this conference. And, and I think it just yeah. one thing it, it showed is the gap. And I think we're gonna talk about the whole Eastern Conference, but it just shows the big the gap that it exists between the Pacers, what the Pacers are now, and what the Milwaukee Bucks present. Yeah, I mean, because I'm looking forward to Victor coming back as much as anybody. He's going to make a big difference. I think he really puts us in, in competition with any team in this conference except for Milwaukee. I just think that, number one, they're a bad matchup with us, with the, with the bigs they can roll out, really neutralize Sabonis. Um, you know, he had good numbers, but just didn't look to make the same impact with those big bodies on him. He made some jumpers in the first half, but, you know, you can't trust him to consistently knock those down a seven-game series. Um, you know, so that's a big issue. You know, their their ability with, with Giannis, I mean, obviously he's far better than any Pacer player, even on their best day. He's, he's probably the best player in the league right now. Um, 
you know, obviously everything he does, they have good shooters. Um, they're, they're really the, the anti Sixers. I mean, the Sixers are just, you know, this plotting kind of same team and, you know, they have, they have the same issues all over the court. Whereas, you know, you have the Bucks who are, you know, very versatile, have different guys that can do different things all over the place. And they still don't have Eric Bledsoe. I mean, people are forgetting Eric Bledsoe's out, but he's still not in. And he's a big part of what they do. And they've really survived. You know, George Hill's been been outstanding. They have Wesley, Wesley Matthews. You know, Pacers fans know about both of those guys. Um, you know, they just bring guys off the bench that, you know, really come in waves at you. And it's just, it's just not, it's just never ceasing, really. I mean, you just... With a lot of teams, the Pacers have gained advantages when our bench comes in and outplay. Like with the Lakers, for example, you came in, our bench was clearly better, and they really pushed us to give us that that win. And when you had the Bucks, I mean, their bench really outmatched and and really outplayed our bench. I think our bench had an off night, to be fair. Um, I think that they will play better, um, you know, in a rematch against them. I think the Pacers missed a lot of open shots. And, you know, I don't think we're 30 points worse than Milwaukee, but I just think it really showed that they're a very deep, very talented team, and I think they're by far the class of this conference. I mean, I don't want to go too off of one game, but I've watched a lot of them this year. They're a very impressive team, and I was interested to see how we would, we would respond. Again, it's December. You know, we beat Miami 3-1 to one in the series one year in the regular season and, you know, got knocked out in the playoffs. So, you know, regular season record against the team doesn't mean everything, but, you know, just watching Milwaukee, their, their depth, their talent at the top, they're just so impressive. They're so well-coached. Um, they have a lot of versatile pieces. And again, the Pacers are still, you know, kind of getting back together that, you know, Malcolm Brogdon has the finger injury. He hasn't been the same since that shooting the ball. Victor still has to come back. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we do make it to that point in the playoffs to face them, how we would meet, well, how we would match up. But right now, I mean, they just seem like a different animal. They're just from top to bottom, a great team overall. Yeah. I don't know if really anybody in the Eastern conference matches up well against them, but then the second night of a back-to-back, the Pacers return home uh, Monday night. Got a big, big victory over the Toronto Raptors without Malcolm Brogdon again. Uh, the Pacers won 120-115. to 115. Uh, It was the Aaron Holiday show again. We keep bringing this guy's name up, and he keeps making plays for the Pacers. Um, and also, Miles Turner showed up in overtime. Uh, Aaron Holiday had 19 points, 10 assists. Also hit a couple key threes in the overtime period. And then Miles Turner probably had arguably his best game of the year. 24 points, 7 rebounds. Well, those are 5 for 6 from three-point line. And this was a pretty big game. I, I, we talked about on the previous show. I said this is a game the Pacers could get, with with it being at home. Yeah, it's the second night of back to back. But Toronto's also coming off a second night of back to back. Also not having Siakam and Marcus All. This could be a game the Pacers could get. And um, Toronto threw a lot of zone to us in the game. I thought that was pretty interesting. From with a Nick Nurse coach team, I expected a zone defense. The Pacers were able to beat it with some. Great play with Miles Turner and Aaron Holiday, especially in overtime. Yeah, those those guys were the key. I mean, it was great to see Miles Turner, you know, continue to play well. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about his fallout probably for all season, and you know, hopefully, he continues this play. And you know, he's made a turning point since that fallout. You know, the comments after the Utah game, and he was just really struggling. And you know, the last couple of weeks, he's really find his found his groove. And you know, even even on nights where he's not getting a ton of minutes or getting a ton of shots, he's a lot more consistent with his production with the shots he is getting and the looks he is getting um he, he just looks a lot better but you know it really it really culminated with that game against Toronto we don't win that game you know without him having just he hit a lot of tough three-pointers um you know was just a scoring monster really took advantage of that zone and you know if we see that again down the line 
in the postseason or even later on in the season when teams scout us or watch us on film, how to defend us. I mean, See, I don't know be- why teams actually throw zone at us. We don't. I know we don't shoot a whole lot of threes. We've been around 30, 30 attempted per game. But we've got the three-point shooters. We've got Miles. We've got Brogdon. We've got Lamb. We've got Warren. We've got McDermott off the bench. I just don't know why teams throw a zone at us. I think it's mainly just because it, it really helps eliminate the pick and roll with Sabonis. Um, he's really the lifeblood of what we're able to do offensively. He gets a lot of guys open with his screens, a lot of good mid, a lot of open mid-range jumpers, which if you look at guys like Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, even Jeremy Lamb, you know, a lot of our guys really thrive with the mid-range jumper, your know, mid-range game. And obviously Sabonis rolling to the back basket is, is a lethal, a lethal option for us also. So if you run into zone, really you you limit what Sabonis can do. And he really with with Brogdon either in or out, I mean, they run a lot of things through him. I mean, he leads the league in screen assists for a reason. I mean, he's really at the center point of everything we do offensively. And when you run a zone, it really puts him in a tough position. They you really force him to be more of a facilitator, which you talked about on the show is something that he's not really adept at yet. I think we've seen a little bit of strides here and there throughout the season of him being a, be more willing to pass in those situations, but it really hurts him the most. And when teams are, are watching us, they really view him as a vital part of our offense. So if you cut off the pick and roll with Sabonis, that takes away what not only he does best, but also what some of our other scorers do best. So I think they're just saying, okay, Indiana doesn't shoot a lot of threes. They've run a lot of pick and roll. And when you run into a zone, that really forces teams to be a volume three-point team, which teams are saying, okay, we're not going to let you beat us with what you do best. We'll see if you're willing to take 35 threes a game. And, you know, like you said, we have the shooters, and Toronto found that out the hard way because we won. Um, you know, Miles Turner, Aaron Holiday were the difference there. But I think that ultimately for the Pacers and, you know, for Sabonis specifically, he has to learn when we go into those zones and, and you know, they still want to run things through him. He has to be looking for the quick the quick passes to the outside because the shots are there, um, you know, and we've proven we can make three-pointers all season. So I think we play a lot better against the zone the last couple of times we played them. Hopefully that takes teams out of that. They don't, you know, because zone, zone can get you killed from three. And, and, you know, the Pacers have the players. But I don't think teams really respected it at that point. I, I don't. I still don't know if teams do respect it as they should, but you know, if we run zone, I think we're much better equipped to face it now than we were earlier in the season where teams would just make us look like a terrible offensive team uh, running zone. So having Miles Turner being able to hit his open threes, having Aaron Holiday, who's a, who's a very good three-point shooter, those two guys made the difference in that game. And, you know, like you say, Aaron Holiday's has been such a revelation for this team this year, really helped with the scoring output that Victor Oladipo leaves on the table being on the shelf. You know, he's been huge. And, you know, again, that was just great to see Miles Turner break out and have the game he did and, you know, really carry us offensively to a win because we needed him, um, you know, with them giving us the three-point looks. We don't have, you know, too many guys that are capable of hitting as many threes as Miles Turner can, um, especially as a big man. So, you know, it was great to see that victory. It was, like you said, it was the key victory because you're at home. They were missing some key players and, you know, it turned what would have been a two and four stretch into a three and three stretch. So, you know, that was, that was probably the most critical win, I think, during the stretch for this team. And the Pacers got a few days off and went to Miami to face the Miami Heat. And everyone, everyone during, everyone on Twitter was talking about, they won a seven-game series against the Miami Heat in the playoffs. I don't. That was such a stressful game as a Pacers fan. Um, of course, we were out. We were without Malcolm Brogdon again. Pacers lost 112 to 113, and it all came down to that final possession where the Pacers gave up what two or three offensive possessions. Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of mess going on a lot around the rim, so guys couldn't get the rebound. But 
that's something I've been talking to you about the last couple of games is Pacers have struggled to get rebounds and it's that there's no excuse for it really because because we have we played big because we've got Sabonis and Turner out there. There's just no there's no real excuse and I think it's coming down to the guards um, that are not boxing out. They either go watch the ball or they don't. They're not in position to get the long rebounds when teams shoot threes and. I don't know if that will become a big factor when the Pacers get to the playoffs, but I think that's something the Pacers are going to have to sure up is making sure they get rebounds, finish, finish possessions uh, with the defensive rebound. Oh, it, it'll be a factor. I mean, it's it's very frustrating to watch. I mean, we had talked about it, you know, after the game. I was I was really livid to see them give up that many offensive rebounds at the end, and you know, you just watch this team, and it's just it's just like nobody really has the heart to rebound right now. I mean, it's just. Like you said, it, I think you nailed it perfectly. Not boxing out. I mean, not getting in position. Don't stand there and watch the ball. Find a guy to get your body on. Make sure you're in front of them with your with your hands to the basket, ready to get that long rebound, ready to get. Sabonis so can't get 50 rebounds a game. He can't get 30 rebounds a game. There's got to be know. somebody. He might actually be able to do it if he stays out of foul trouble. He might actually do it. He he might if he if they put him full time center, but he he can't he can't do it alone. And, and, you know, you've seen recently in weeks, I think his energy level's going down a little bit. I think, you know, he's never played 30-plus minutes a season. Um, you know, so I think, you know, we're going into the third month of the season. You know, he's playing 35 minutes a game. I've seen him get outworked a little bit on the boards. I'm not going to completely, you know, dispel him for some of our rebound troubles. But, you know, when he's the only guy that's consistently getting rebounds every night, it wears him down. You know, getting rebounds is a physical thing. You know, it's it's a it's a tough thing to do. Um, you know, and he does all of our dirty work really on both ends of the floor, but I mean, there's gotta be guys with heart to rebound and, you know, especially on that last possession, man, you got You gotta be ready for that miss. And, you know, it costs us the win. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you gotta do better in that department. Rebounding is a very fundamental part of the game. And, you know, I know we're in an era in basketball where fundamentals are kind of lost and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the teams that can compete for championships and win championships are teams that do the little thing like rebounding not giving up second chance points. And, you know, even the games we've won recently, I, I haven't been really satisfied with the rebounding performances. And I think, you know, I was I was happy with the effort. I thought we did, played a great game against a really good team. I'm not upset we lost. I'm just the upset team's that only we lost once at home. Yeah, I mean, we played an outstanding game against them. I mean, we did everything we could to win that game. Sabonis was terrible. You know, you didn't, you didn't have Victor Oladipo, obviously. You know, Malcolm Brogdon. You know, all those all those factors into it, and you still were able to go in there and and lose a game by one point. That that aspect of it is is great. I'll take that ten times out of ten. But it's at the end of the game when you have a lead, you have a one point lead with only a couple seconds left. You have a chance to box out, get a simple rebound, and you're probably going to win that game. That's the frustrating thing is you still let a win slip away that you should have won. Um, so that that aspect of it, just when teams don't do the little things well, it really it really bothers me. So it was just really bothersome to see this team allow what was it three offensive rebounds um, in that stage and and choke up the win. But you know, I, again, I was happy with the performance. I thought we did really really well. Um, I'm with you. I don't know if I would want that stress over the course of a seven game series, but it was certainly fun to go down to, to to South Beach and be able to put on a competitive showing against really the surprise team of the East and one of the best teams in the league right now. I mean, they're playing great basketball, so it was nice to be able to be competitive with them and at least have a chance at the end to win. And here's the rebound numbers from that game. The Heat had 60 rebounds. The Pacers had 39. The Miami had 14 offensive rebounds. The Pacers had two. I think a lot of that had to do with uh, – 
with Sabonis not being in for most of the game. I think he had foul trouble, but like you said, he wasn't playing great. Um, then the Pacers went to New Orleans for another, another second night of a back-to-back, and just the energy wasn't there. And honestly, I, I think it would be appropriate to not have any energy and not do this game recap. Pacers lost 120, yeah. 120 to 98. I mean, second night of a back-to-back, a road back-to-back. Just played a tough game in Miami. Um, I think that, that game, I don't know if that game is alarming. Uh, I think if it happens again, or one or two more times before the playoffs, then it's going to be a little bit a little bit um, worrisome. But I think it's just chalk it up to a back-to-back. Just one of those games you didn't win. Um, we'll get one of those wins where we're going to win a game that we probably shouldn't have. So uh, then the last game of this stretch, the Pacers on New Year's Eve, um, coming off of a um, – Rematch from uh, late November, the Pacers were able to get the um, get the victory over the 76ers, a big victory. And I know Philly didn't have Joel Embiid, but I don't think he makes up for 30 or 40 points overall from his offensive defense. If you just look at the second and third quarter, that's when the Pacers took over. Outscored Philly 67-39 to 39 those two quarters. And I think a lot of it came down to the bench unit. I think the bench unit overall against Philadelphia really took over in that second and third quarter. Well, unless unless Joel Embiid is guarding TJ Warren, I don't think it really would have mattered, to be honest with you. I mean, he's he's roasted this team the entire year. I mean, the only thing that Embiid being out did, honestly, was kept TJ Warren from going for 40, probably, because they were able to be more balanced, you know, with their bigs. They felt more comfortable attacking. Well, Warren, him. Warren only took 11 shots. He probably could have okay. got 40 if he had took some more shots. Oh, easily. He would have went for 40, man. I mean, if, he, if, if Embiid was in and they weren't able to attack their bigs, the way we were able to on the interior, oh, he would have went for 40. I mean, they couldn't stop him. He was just scoring from everywhere. He was just, He's just been a lethal person against. I know Philly fans have this affinity for Sabonis because he's put them on a poster now twice, so they hate him. But really the guy they should hate is T.J. Warren because he's really been the, the, the Sixers killer this year. Um, you know, but I, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think that Embiid would have really won them this game. I think that overall they just came out flat. You know, the Sixers they really, really did. They looked like it. I mean, they look like us against the Pelicans, honestly. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to get too high on this this win. I was really excited because this was a game that I wanted to win, um, you know. But at the end of the day, I, I still think we came out and did our part, and they didn't. You know, you still had Ben Simmons. They still had Tobias Harris. They still had Al Horford. They still had all their pieces. Josh Richardson was in, which he wasn't in the last game. They still had their a lot of their pieces, you know. So we didn't have Brogdon or Oladipo. So I think it more than balances out with Embiid being out, I think, I think it more than balances out with those two guys being out. Um, you know, so I think it was just a case of, you know, we came out after a tough loss, this team showed its pride, you know, heard a couple comments about the practicing, you know, was a little more intense after that. They did more of a full scrimmage, which they, which got them kind of hyped up and excited. Um, you know, so they came out here very energized and, you know, wanted to avenge that loss came in at home I'm sure they, you know, that that last loss against the Sixers, the way that Nick kind of lit a fire under them. And, you know, maybe this game meant a little more, you know, obviously the Dan Burke comments. So I think the Pacers, this might have meant a little more to them, you know, than some other games. And um, I think that's why Embiid actually set out was because of Dan Burke. He might have been ducking Dan Burke. I'm not going to lie to you. He didn't he didn't want none of it. I think it's January 23rd or 22nd that we play the Philly again. We'll see if Embiid is ducking Dan Burke. We'll see how that knee is feeling. I mean, at least at least he was out this game, so he wasn't put on a second Sabonis poster. So at least he has that going for him because, I mean, Sabonis was up so high, he would have dunked over anybody probably. I mean, that's the highest I think I've ever seen him jump. Uh, but at least he had that going for him. So 
you know, he's ducking Dan Burke for sure. That was, it was, it was, it was nice to be able to get a win though in that situation. I mean, two and four versus three and three during the stretch. I mean, we talked about it before. This was one of the toughest stretches I thought that we had, um, you know, in the, of the season. So to be able to split that man, three and three, I, I'm, I'm, and he went two and one against the East. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the most important thing in terms of playoff seating and all that other stuff. I mean, so, you know, all in all, I think it was successful. I was really excited to be able to end that stretch going into the new year with a big, big, uh, huge dominant victory over the Sixers. Um, you know, everybody played well. I thought it was a really balanced attack. Um, it was nice to see Domas get back on track offensively. He's kind of been in a slump a little bit. He was probably the best he's played since that Lakers game. Uh, so it was nice to see him kind of get back on track. Nice to see this offense moving and flowing. I know Domas made uh, comments after the last loss that they need to move the ball more. I thought they did that. Um, you know, still some of the rebounding issues. I mean, I, I didn't get let that get lost in it. We still were giving up some offensive rebounds, which, you know, was not ideal. We have we just have to figure that out. I mean, you talked about two centers. I mean, how are we getting out rebounded with two guys that are almost seven feet tall? I mean, that's just crazy to me. That's just that's just not good. And that that I think that does I know Miles, people give him crap for his rebounding, but I, I put a lot more of it on the guards, you know, just not boxing out. Guys are flying in you know, from the three-point line or from wherever they're standing and just grabbing these rebounds over guys. And, you know, it's just frustrating to watch. So we do have to get that fixed. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a successful six-game stretch. You know, again, three and three, you're, you're fifth. I mean, I think we were actually sixth in the East when we started this when we started this stretch. So you actually moved up in the standings, and, you know, that's always a win for you. So, you know, we have a little bit more of a favorable schedule coming up over the next week. So hopefully we'll be able to maybe creep up into that fourth spot, but we'll see all in all. It was, it was a good, great way to end the year and, and really excited to be where we're at 22 and 11 Victor Oladipo or 22 and 12 Oladipo coming back uh, on the horizon. So I think it was, it was a great, great way to end the year for us. And the Pacers start that new year with the uh, Denver Nuggets coming to town on Thursday night. It should be a pretty interesting matchup. And they've got two favorable games against the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets on the road. So we'll have to see about that. So uh, those are the next couple of games coming up. Pacers also have the Heat and the 76ers back on the horizon. Uh, so those should be some pretty interesting games before they go to the West Coast. So uh, we'll come back at you guys on another episode sooner or later. So uh, we appreciate you guys coming on the show and we hope you guys have a good rest of the day.